Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Step up, step right up, come one, come all. It's another episode of On the Edge with Andrew Gold. Today I talk with Benjamin Boyce, a YouTube pundit, commentator, whatever you might have it as, and he's known for his calm-versations. Not conversations, but calm-versations, where he has very calm dialogues with various speakers of renown. I'm even one of them, bringing the tone of his show right down. So do check that out on the Benjamin A. Boyce YouTube channel. One of the strands that has really exploded with popularity on his channel is a documentary series called The Complete Evergreen Story. It tells the story of the university he attended, Evergreen State College. It was set up decades ago as an alternative way of teaching, combining diverse schools of thought to endow the student with plurality of thought and understanding of different viewpoints. However, Benjamin posits that it, as has become a bit of a theme on this channel, is another example of a faculty being taken over by woke and illiberal academics who preach magical thinking. At the centre of much of this, at the centre of everything in the culture wars, is the issue of trans, not whether trans people exist or should have the same fundamental human rights and empathy we all deserve, because to me at least that's a given, but whether they or whether trans women are literally women. It's a question of truth. And with everything going on right now pertaining to climate change and war and a lot of other scary things, this question around truth versus postmodernism and abstract strange thoughts and academic think somehow remains at the center of everything and even shapes the votes around the new conservative leader to replace Boris Johnson. They're all being asked about what they currently think and what they've passed said about this topic. Anyway, I hope you find this enlightening, interesting, that you enjoy the dulcet tones of Benjamin's voice and that you get true value from this. This being my Saturday strand, it was recorded on the Sean Atwood YouTube channel and is a snippet from a longer show on the Sean Atwood True Crime podcast where you can find the rest of it. Coming up are chats with Professor Nutt about psychedelic drugs and Annie Ikba about child sacrifice, which still happens today. But now you're on the edge of woke academia with Benjamin Boyce. Benjamin Boyce, Benjamin, how are you doing? Hey, mate? Andrew, how are you? You're so I'm, chipper. Oh, yeah, I'm chipper. I'm a, well, I'm like, quite chipper, and you're, you're very calm. Right? No, I, I try to be calm. 
Yeah. What? Oh, what was it? You had because when I, I was on your podcast and there was a thing that was, I can't remember what you said. It was like soothing conversations or something like that at the beginning. Calm you just written conversations. 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 It's a word play. You guys British. Uh, you guys know about puns over there, right? Yeah, I is think that that's American that's the thing? extent. <laughs> no, it's the extent of our humor okay. puns. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but but so I sort of got brought into the calmness. I think you did that to me. So you haven't seen the chipper version of me, which Sean does. The Sean's very, you know, and so he gets me going. Okay. Yeah. yeah, he's the upper. I'm like, yeah, cool. Yeah, exactly. I'm like putty. I can just you just you just throw me and I'll stick into whatever situation mm -hmm. it's got to be. Very Tell the people, the yeah. good people, who you are, Benjamin Boyce, and your background and stuff like that. Um, my name is Benjamin Boyce. I uh, do interviews on YouTube and I have a podcast called Conversations. I got my start in 2017 when the college that I was going to in Olympia, Washington, uh, suffered a extravagant intersectional meltdown. It went absolutely nuclear. It's called the Evergreen State College. I've done a 24 episode documentary on it. Um, and uh, I don't know if you guys are aware of uh, a fellow named Brett Weinstein and his wife, Heather Hying. They also have a podcast, but they were science professors there too. But there was this so-called woke mob that went absolutely haywire and um, I was on the ground. So I collected all of the emails and the internal documents and the FOIAs and then all the videos that the students made. And I showed a tapestry of how certain ideas within what's called the woke can go critical. And when they do go critical, it's super cringy and probably quite dangerous, if not just destructive to you know education in the very least. So that's where I got my start. And then I've been doing conversation since then <laughs> on issues is, such as gender and and what we call wokeness what is um the most egregious example at the evergreen state college that you uncovered uh e egregious example there's several um competing events that happen but um well the, the students uh well they were all trained that western society is uh constantly committing genocide against everybody except the white race and that this college the evergreen state college was also a part of white supremacy and so they took that they internalized that and then they tried to overthrow the system that taught them to overthrow the system and um the students roamed around with wiffle ball bats beating up people that were trying to write we want to go back to class because they shut down the campus um in the middle of the night they they had like these rowdy things going on they took administration hostage they um monitored the president of the college's urinary uh times so oh they would they dictated when he could go potty and uh, they would follow him there. And uh, he acquiesced, the, the college president acquiesced the entire thing. And then they tried to cover it all up, but the students had uh, live streamed it. Oh, what, what motivates such self-flagellation uh, among, among a group of students? Uh, the students were more about the flagellating, not the self-flagellating. I mean, there were white allies, so-called, that would do the bidding of... They, the, the students um, spontaneously formed uh, a segregation. They, they automatically lined up in what's called a progressive stack, where identities dictated your moral authority, and the black black trans femme disabled people were at the top, and there's actually a quadriplegic or duoplegic uh 
black trans person who's kind of controlling the mob the whole time, which is kind of ridiculous and pathetic at the same time, but it's all on film. It's over the top. And then the white students were supposed to just obey. And the class, the last class that I was in, we had a struggle session where the students, uh, they created a moral authority based on race and the black students just yelled at the white students for an hour and a half, just yelled at us and uh, tried to get us to break down. And when they, they, they would tell us to shut the F up, uh, shut the F up, shut the F up. And then they would say, your silence is killing us. Your, your white silence is literally killing us. And then we would try to say, well, do you want us to shut the F up or do you want us <laughs> to, to, to talk? What do you, what do you guys want us to say? And they're like, yeah. you're not, you're not understanding. You know, they like, want you to be you the loud. Jokes. They want you to be loud and to agree with them. Yeah. 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 And uh, so the, 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 but the administrators and the professors were a lot of the professors and administration administrators were on board with this because they had indoctrinated themselves to believe that um, equity is reversing the hierarchy of race, that, that it's time for white people to be on the bottom and for the black people and indigenous people and then all the other people in between need to be on top. And the way that we're going to affect that was through a ritual. It was a spontaneous ritual. It lasted four or five days, uh, very explicitly religious. And again, you won't believe what I'm talking about unless you actually see the footage. And you can find that on my YouTube channel, Benjamin mm -hmm. A. Boyce. So, I mean, as you know, I'm usually, I would usually be on your side, but I don't want us, I need to do some devil's advocate here. Yeah. There is a, there is a advocate. race problem to an extent in the States, particularly with police brutality. Is there not? Um, how many people do you think are killed a year by the cops based on race? How many black people do you think are killed? I know in the UK, it's really low. Um, in the US, I got the impression it was, it was fairly high, but I, I gather you're going to tell me it's not. It's 10 to 20, 10 to 20 a year, and that's gone up. But um, mm. the, the, the narrative is really heavily in one direction. And what we saw in 2020 um, was a massive overreaction to a problem that is actually not as big as the public thought it was. And everything that happened in 2020 was basically what happened at the Evergreen State College, but on the worldwide scale, or at least on a countrywide scale, where there were riots and um, you know mostly peaceful protests and stuff like that. And the media and the Democratic uh, legislature and, and governors were all on the side of this racial reckoning. Um, but what did that racial reckoning actually affect? It affected two things. Black Lives Matter, the official organization, got billions of dollars that disappeared. There's no accountability for that money. And then every major corporate and government institution is now indoctrinating people according to this diversity, equity, inclusion stuff, which is a belief system that's meant to invert a racial hierarchy, but it doesn't actually help the communities that it's supposing to help. Um, so the narrative around racial inequality or racial oppression is has been politicized for decades. I'm not saying there's no problem, but there's a lot of power and resources to extract through that. And there are more than enough people willing to use that to their own personal gain. And the people who they are supposedly on the side of are getting left behind. And that's kind of basically the main thrust of a lot of my content is to give voices to the people who are being represented by these activists and let the people talk for themselves. Uh, rather than be represented by these radical activists.
I'm getting a bit of crackling when when you speak. Has that happened before? And it might just it might be me. Is or is are other people hearing it? It, it? I don't know what it might be. And I know you. I know you'd want me to tell you because you have a lovely voice and you'd like it to sound as good. Um, it might be me, but I've never used this program before. This Crowdcast IO, and I don't mm. have. Should we should we try hours. um try refreshing the page? Okay, one second. Sometimes that works with stuff. Boom mic, toggle mic. Hello. I think it's better. Snap, crackle, pop. Oh, yeah, it's better. Jizzy Jam, cool. Oh, I'm so happy. Right, you admitted before that there is that there is some problem. It's being overcorrected, right? Is it not an argument that there needs to be some sort of you know movement of the Overton window, the the window of expectations, so that we can correct a problem to an extent? uh what do you mean by the overton window just to specify what you mean by it well my understanding of the overton window my, and i should just say my understanding of, of things is, is not always quite right but uh my understanding is when something really outlandish happens in society such as some of trump's behavior for example like the i'm not talking about his politics but his indecency perhaps it moves that window so far because we get used to that that we still call him out for it but slightly less indecent behavior starts to seem normalized compared to the extreme yeah yeah Yeah. Um, from what i understand the overton window is specifically about the uh the realm of acceptable discourse. And if you look Mm -hmm. in what's happened in academia specifically and what happened at Evergreen State College, and yes, it was five years ago, um, specifically, there was a tightening of discourse where there was a narrative that Evergreen is a racist institution, one of the most progressive institutions in the United States of America, is one of the most racist institution where, where black lives are in danger walking across campus in the middle of the woods with security and and to question that would be a sign that you're privileged and that you're blind to the danger that this protected group is experiencing and then any sort so what they did was and this is what happened to brett weinstein was that he started to push and he wasn't the only one certain professors began to ask questions about the data that they were using to come to these conclusions and they were called out as privileged and supremacist and that they need to their time is over now they need to step aside and give power over to these people who've been subjected the whole time and that methodology and meritocracy those are those are part of the hegemony western hegemony and so what happened is that they eradicated criticism and then they couldn't stop themselves from becoming less and less delusional. Like they, the, they took the brakes off. They took the brakes off, which would be critical thinking. Right. So because they tried to solve this problem where Trump would come and round up everybody and put them in concentration camps. And you couldn't even question that at that point. Like that's how, that's how off the rails it got because they, they lost control. Um, they got so swept up in this moral panic is one way of putting it. And so the Overton window, you know, what, what behavior is normalized, what behavior is not normalized, the free speech issue, what, what, um, what should the consequences be for rude um, speech, for uh, disparaging somebody's identity, right? And, and even within the identity thing at the Evergreen State College, white men were constantly denigrated, constantly made fun of. So it, it was okay 
and enshrined and I have the footage where it's okay to, to mock and belittle white men because they need to be taken down. So we're still going to be racial, but we're going to put it all in one group. And, and so I just don't think it was healthy at all. I don't think it was healthy yeah. at all. And then that is what allowed the students to just completely go off the rails. And then there was no authority left on the administration level to rein anything in, to even make them make sense. They would fly off the handle if they, uh, if they were, if their story was tried to be made coherent because there were so many contradictions in their stories. Like if you ask, you're like, you're not listening to us. You're not listening. You're not listening. So yeah, I don't know how to solve problems, but I do know that if you can't laugh and you can't ask questions, then there's something wrong in wherever you are. If there, if, if the, if, if people are becoming more and more serious and less and less curious, something's going to, something's going to go off because those two correctives, which are part of free speech and do make people uncomfortable and might, might make people feel bad or, you know, show them to be weak in some way, shape or form. Those two, without those two things, I don't think you can have an actual, let alone like, like a functioning society on one level, let alone a institution of higher education cannot function without at least critical inquiry. Hmm. Well, you say, okay, we can't um, criticize and, and inquire, but presumably you did. And did anything happen to you? Um, uh, well, okay. So I entered into college later in life. Like I, I started at the Evergreen State College at 34, 36. So I was already basically my professor's age and 16 to 18 years senior of the freshmen that were entering in there. So I was kind of just isolated already and I just kind of didn't really engage as much. So I wasn't subjected to the same sorts of policing or pressure that other students of the same age as the students and then also the faculty who were enmeshed in, in that faculty life. So I did, you know, I would just question or raise my eyebrows and I would get, you know, people would get angry at me or put their daddy issues on me, but it was like, what are you guys really talking? What are we really talking about here? What's really going on here? When I did try to stand up to the administration, I, I started to see the slide and madness. And I saw that the students were taking advantage of this protesty nature to be more and more outrageous, to take over more and more events, to scream at people and just be, just act completely ridiculous. I'm like, this is what happens when you teach people not about etiquette, but about privilege or about empowerment, like empowerment without etiquette is just a license to be an asshole. And that's all you're producing is a bunch of assholes. Like, no, there's no productive stuff here. There's just struggle sessions. And the school became more and more centered around these weird psychology sessions where we're supposed to talk about our trauma. We're not learning how to communicate. We're talking about our trauma more and more and more. You're not supposed to correct people's grammar because that's putting down their you know, their, their natural, uh, you know, their natural vernacular, right? So even correct grammar was a part of the hegemony of, of Western imperialism or whatever. So it was just, I did get blowback after I came out after the events and I graduated and I spent a number of years like detailing every single thing that had happened in that college and the college administration became more and more obsessed with me and started having more and more meetings about me. And they hired an SEO firm to kind of scrub me from the internet. They downrated oh. my YouTube channel. Yeah. Government, it's a state school too. So they paid an SEO. It paid somebody to go after me on the internet. 
So, oh um, so I did have a little bit of power, but it, I just didn't take it seriously. And I was trying to aim towards something a little bit more constructive, not just necessarily just tear them apart, you know, even though I did kind of go overboard because uh, I have a hard time respecting the way that the adults in the room refuse to act like adults in the room. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on What Could Go Right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com heretics and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn dot com slash heretics to learn more. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Man, it's um, I'm getting asked. I'm sorry, the, the buzz came back, and I'm being asked by the horrible producer if you wouldn't mind refreshing again, just so because otherwise we can't put it out on the YouTube. Um, <laughs> where were we just now? I was trying to entertain the crowd as a as a one man show just there. Yeah, yeah. Do um, you juggle? Do I juggle? I, Can you like no, I, put noodles up and down your nose? Can you do anything? 
Do you have any party um, tricks at all? I do a sort of weird eye. Oh, weird eye. Yeah, that's all oh, I can sort of cool. do, really. Occasionally, I made the camera go really light and then dark, and then I worried about epileptic people, and I, you know, because it was like going really fast and all that. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah oh, people yeah. are commenting, I, I going like, the... "Amazing sound you've got now." The uh, I won't say that. <laughs> How spicy is this show? I'm just saying that the as as the pride in the in the next three or four years, the pride flag is going to get so busy that it's going to have to come with an epileptic uh, seizure warning to look at it because it's just getting so. You can so, say horrible things on this show, Benjamin. Don't worry about that. <laughs> okay. Nothing against the. But, it's just the aesthetics are, are becoming more and more um, egregious. Let's say that. <laughs> It always, you know, what what was it? Chappelle called it the alphabet people, and it, it I don't know. I, I sort of feel a bit sometimes. And I guess I've sort of got tired of doing the devil's advocate thing now. I've, I've done it for five minutes, and I I do get frustrated by what I see is that people like playing World of Warcraft, don't they? They like playing like these little games and things where they can be like, I'm the this one, and I'm the goblin. Well, yeah, there's the okay. hero, but there's also like the really specific individual little bits that, and everyone's like, that's my specific thing. So that's part of the fun of it, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. LARPing, right? What's that? D &D. Oh, yes. LARPing. Live action role playing. So you're saying like uh, sexuality is a form of live action role playing. I'm trying to get to the end of the gender thing. I'm trying to get to the bottom of the bucket of gender. And it's, it's really said, deep. Yeah, cool. It's very yeah. deep, but a lot of it is kind of weird. And I'm trying to sort through it because I think that I think that gender is a social currency. I don't think we can get away with it. The, the way that we gauge and engage with each other and the way that we discover ourselves, the way that we build towards intimacy is mitigated through gender, which is a social, uh, a sexual, uh, sex-influenced social behaviors. And there are feminine men and, and women, uh, masculine women, not saying that anybody has to fit in a definite peg but i just think that it's currency now when we say that there's a gender identity i think that's where it starts to break down and become an agenda like you don't really have a gender identity gender is just a part of how you know and understand figure out the timing figure out what your conversation partner your date wants to do and just figure out the tone of voice and what that all means there's there's just this huge network of information so I don't agree with the complete gender critical side, which is just, it's all stereotypes and it's all oppressive. And I definitely don't agree with the gender ideologues who think that you can just have a, this identity, this gender identity. So mm. some of it's a little bit, um, a bit, a bit conservative, isn't it? Uh, this, this sense of if you act very much like, like a man, if you're a woman, then that means you, you might need to become one, right? The, there's, I think that there's bad readings on what it means to be masculine girl. Like what is really going on there? And are we talking about a tomboy girl who just kind of likes to engage with the world with her body, right? Just climb trees and like figure out things and wrestle with boys and uh, adversely or conversely a nine-year-old boy who just really likes to arrange his room in a certain way and is really sensitive to touch and really likes his his clothes in a very particular way is very social very engaged on that level does that necessarily mean that they are a man or a woman or how their their process of development instead of opening that, that up to possibility that gender ideology tries to cap it and tries to define it and tries to force people into you know certain identities and then you have the medical establishment that's on board with using 
technology to facilitate the um, turning of a body into an identity or aligning a body with an identity, which is not perfect. The medicine itself is not perfect. And then there's a lot of ethical questions about to what extent do human beings actually have power over their bodies or should we have power over our bodies? To what degree does our will or our brains or our minds uh, necessarily rule like our, our incarnations? That's Those are big ethical questions, especially when it comes to putting children on lifelong um, medicalization. So that's where it gets complicated, really. Complicated. Yeah. And then the is gender identity in and of itself strong enough argument to do that? Like that should be questioned. And if you can't question that, and if you can't joke about it, then there's something going on. Mm, I agree. I agree. I suppose, I suppose people would say with the comedy and stuff, the argument back is like, you know, they, they feel like they're punching up. Uh, if they make fun of you for being white, for example, and you're punching down, um, yeah. That's that's the other that's what they say, isn't it? Is there is there such a thing as punching up, punching out? Is that really? Does that really? Is that salient? Well, if you made a joke about Prince William or something, I suppose you could argue it's sort of different to making the joke about a, a homeless person on their last. You, phase. I'm sure, when nobody's listening, you make fun of Scottish people. Hmm. Pretty um... pretty hard. No. Like, is there when no, I do like, punch Welsh? down, I, 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 you know, I wouldn't just, I, I always do, but I'm just saying that's their argument is that there's a difference okay. in punching up, punching out. And there is a difference, isn't there? I just like a world where you can do both. And I'm, I, I'm wary okay. of a world because who's the, who's the decider, who, who's the moral arbiter yeah. who's going to say, well, that was punching up and that was punching down. That, that's the problem with it, isn't it? Yeah. Well, and it's all relative too, because then it incentivizes you pretending to be down in order to punch in the correct direction that's right? that's happening a lot isn't it i got a question from uh anexus am i um, uh, saying what is the fallout from evergreen now uh the fallout um materially they are down um below two thousand students they should have four thousand so they're wow. um they they're under 50 percent capacity now um they've had to cut tons of jobs they're reliant completely on the state for funding because they don't have the tuition money and so they're basically facilitating their deal with the state by producing a whole bunch of woke public administrators and teachers so their two main things are um, masters in teaching and masters in public administration and it's very ideological in order to get in order to pass you have to be a believer so you know the democratic legislature is facilitating evergreen flooding uh washington state with foot soldiers basically um to keep things uh according to the democratic ideology or whatever they really want to do so that's kind of the fallout do you feel optimistic that there's going to be a, a sort of a turn in all of this and we're going to go back again to a less censored community society sensitive a, a less uh, sen censored Oh, censored. Mm. Um, well, I mean, isn't uh, Elon Musk maybe sort of kind of not really going to buy Twitter at some point? I mean, isn't that yeah. there's going to be a market? There's going to be a market for speech, but free speech in and of itself isn't that valuable. We do need. OK, I, I, don't, I don't believe in censorships or anything, and I do understand and I, I'm kind of wary of the freedom of speech is not freedom from consequences. I understand that, but there is some sort of evolutionary pressure that needs to be put on thought in order for thought. There needs to be some sort of struggle in order for 
strong ideas to come to being. Now, censorship is lazy. There's a lazy way of dealing with thought that you don't like. Engagement is the way to deal with thought that you don't like. But how do we facilitate good thought, clean thought, new ideas? Where are the new ideas? And are, are those ideas necessarily dangerous to the powers that be that they are not allowed to be out there? And to what extent are they dangerous to the powers that be? And to what extent are the powers that be um, manipulating people to not like certain thoughts or certain people because they say certain things that aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves more than bad the powers that be? So how do we facilitate insightful critique? How do we facilitate curiosity and critique, not just critical theory. So I think that there's a lot of work to be done. Um, I don't know if I'm optimistic or not, because I don't know what's going to happen, but I do have worries about the encroachment of what we call the uh, managerial class or bureaucracy through the United States and the way that the uh, woke uh, ideology covers for bureaucratic encroachment into every area of our lives. And I don't think that that's necessarily good for humanity to be lived to be to li to live under that state but maybe if people want to live like china they should go to china and let america be a little bit more free but we're gonna have to fight for our freedom we're gonna have to constantly fight for liberty and then also understand that liberty is founded on responsibility um, and 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 some sort of civil order that underpins our our freedom um, and what those things are are values and how do we communicate values in a post-religious order those are the questions so there's a lot of work to do um, so I'm, I'm more excited by the work than cynical or optimistic about the outcome. Where can people find your stuff? My stuff. Um, <laughs> it's on YouTube at, uh, Benjamin A. Boyce and on, um, your podcast platform of choice under calm versations, C A L M V E R S A. T-I-O-N-S. Maybe I should just write a chat. And uh, also I'm on Twitter at conversations. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at Benjamin A. Boyce. I have sentences over there. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming yeah. on. It was great speaking to you again. Good and, to see uh, you again, man. Soon. Thank you so much, Benjamin Boyce, for coming on The Edge. You can find his work on Benjamin A. Boyce YouTube channel, where you'll even get a conversation with me. I think I'll get a bit of an intense grilling from him, actually. But do check it out. Hopefully, I came out of it looking just about okay. You can also find Benjamin on Twitter, Benjamin A. Boyce again. You'll find me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. I'm always sticking up classic clips. Uh, so, you know, a bit of nostalgia for some of the old classic ones from 100 episodes ago and all that stuff and a lot of new video previews and you'll find me co-hosting Sean Atwood's Wednesday night Atwood Unleashed show um, on Wednesday nights obviously which this is from this this episode is from that um, I, I also upload full video interviews from this podcast on the On the Edge with Andrew Gold YouTube channel live premieres are on Monday and Thursday nights 9pm UK time that's 4pm uh, Eastern time 1pm Pacific time uh, and we all chat in a little chat on the side while watching it a lot of people come and watch those videos uh, straight after or a few hours after listening on the audio and we all have a fun talk about it that's all for now but do join me in the coming week where we'll be discussing child sacrifice and psychedelic drugs
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.